second lesson is from the Gospel of Mark. It's printed for you here in your liturgy. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh God, open our ears that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mark's gospel moves quickly. Really fast. There's a sense of urgency in the air. There's a sense from the very outset in Mark that something really important is going on. Before you get out of the first chapter, you have Jesus' baptism coupled with the approving voice of God. And you have the overwhelmingly positive reception of God's people to what Jesus is doing and saying. They say, it's new, it's authoritative. And you also have the reaction of the demons when they realize that their days of tormenting human beings are soon to be over. The beginning of the Gospel of Mark makes it clear that Jesus is someone who should be listened to and taken with the utmost seriousness. Rowan Williams, citing another Williams, Charles Williams. Charles Williams, if you don't know who he is, wonderful author, mid-20th century to, uh, yeah, right into the last quarter, I guess. Well, in the mid-20th century. He was one of those authors that hung out with C.S. Lewis. He was part of that writer's group that met at the pub called The Eagle and the Child and uh, he's not as famous, of course, as Lewis, but really good stuff. Um, Rowan Williams, quoting from uh, Charles Williams about the first chapter of Mark, says this. Witness is born out of heaven and on earth and out of hell. The voice from heaven at the baptism of Jesus, the witness given to Jesus and the response of the people who recognize his exceptional authority and newness of what he says and how he says it, and the voice of the demons who protest at his presence. Witness is born out of heaven and on earth and out of hell. This is, we are being warned at the very outset of of Mark's gospel, a deeply serious story, a world-changing story, whose ramifications extend well beyond the villages of Palestine. And if these events do indeed change the world, change the regime, then the central figure is someone who has the authority 
and the capacity to change anything and everything in the world. This is how the Gospel of Mark starts, with, with, with that vision in mind. It's in the midst of this introduction to Mark's Gospel where our imagination is arrested by this mysterious and powerful figure of Jesus, it's in the midst that all of that, that Jesus calls some very ordinary people to be his disciples. Very ordinary. Extraordinarily ordinary. Ordinary in the sense that it might be any one of you or me that he would call to be his disciples. In fact, through them, guess what? It is you and me that are called to be his disciples. Very ordinary people. Because the extraordinariness belongs not to us, but the power and the grace and the promises of God to be with us as we follow him. But I get ahead of myself here. At the outset of Mark's gospel... We're given some clues that Jesus is one who will shake up things, who will change the world. And we see that his work may be characterized, though in the way Mark portrays his calling of the first disciples, we see that his work may be characterized as having to do first and foremost with human beings and our needs. Come, follow me, fishermen. I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of people. Whatever it is that Jesus is doing, it has everything to do with taking human beings seriously and attending to the needs of human beings. Jesus, who has the authority and capacity to change anything and everything in the world, says to those he is calling to be his disciples, those who will learn at his feet, that everything in the end comes down to fishing for people. Everything in the end comes down to that. Now, certain traditions of the church have reduced what Jesus is saying here to a very narrow understanding of what it looks like to fish for people. And that understanding goes something like this. Human beings are are worth whatever they're worth. And it's really kind of a a sad way of objectifying human beings. In that narrow kind of an understanding, human beings are worth whatever they're worth because of their potential for conversion. I know I've often heard that definition, um, that way of, of, of seeing things before. But that's precisely backwards. I mean, precisely backwards. That God wants to convert people into those who have a full understanding of his love for them in Christ. That comes from the creator God's prior, prior and foundational love of all people as those made in God's image and loved by God. Human worth, if you will, is tied to the Creator's love for what and who He has made. People have intrinsic worth and value. 
And fishing for people is the long process of loving people in the name of Jesus. Bearing witness to what it means to respond to Jesus' summon to repent and follow him. And removing as many obstacles as we can that stand between a person and that knowledge of God's love for them in Christ. Fishing for people, I'll say it again, it's the long process, it's sincere process of loving people in the name of Jesus, of bearing witness to what it means to respond to Jesus' summon to repent and follow him, and to removing as many obstacles as we stand as we can that stand between a person and the knowledge of God's love for them in Christ. And that looks like a lot of different things. That happens in a lot of different ways. And you sit and you cry with people. And you sit and you mourn with people. And, and you walk with people through their trials and their suffering. And all of it is organized in a way that loves the person unconditionally as one made in God's image. One loved by God. And you do everything that you can to remove whatever it is that stands in between that person and receiving God's love. That's, that's a tall order. But again, Jesus calls very ordinary people to do this. You don't get any more ordinary than these disciples in the beginning. And what's extraordinary is Jesus presence with us in the process, not the extraordinariness of who we are as individuals. Now, in order to live this way as those who are meant to fish for people, we have to embrace a different way of seeing people, a different way of seeing ourselves, a way of life that's in sharp contrast to the spirit of our age. Now, writing to the Corinthians in the passage that was read right before communion this morning, You can look back at it if you want, first lesson. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul exhorts them to not seek their ultimate identities in the chase for material possessions, or even in, of all things, marriage. Now, what Paul wants them and us to understand is that there's a way of being human that keeps us from seeing what's most important about being a human, When we look for significance and purpose in the ways of the world that are passing away, we lose sight of the grounding urgency to be connected to God and to connect our neighbor to God. But how will we be delivered? How is it that we're going to be delivered from the spirit of our age that causes us to lose sight of our ultimate purpose to be connected to God and connect others to God? Well, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he writes that we will see people and ourselves the way we ought to only when we die with Jesus and enter into his cruciform love and cruciform way of seeing everyone and everything. This is what he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. The love of Christ urges us on. Because we're convinced that one's died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all so that those who might live, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we we regard no one from a human point of view. 
Though we once knew Jesus in that way, we no longer know him in that way. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. This is why we have communion each week. And and that's why a portion of this passage is in our assurance of forgiveness each week. We come back to this table each week to encounter Jesus and to be reminded that to follow him is to fish for people and to be reminded that if we're going to regard people in the right way and regard ourselves as being those who are first and foremost to be concerned about being connected to God and then connecting neighbor to God, The only way to do that is to do it through the cross, to do it through being reminded that there's this this self-giving love that is poured out on the cross that connects us to God, and it, it flows over in our lives as we experience and it enables us to desire to connect people to God, to connect neighbor to God. There's a great story in John's gospel. And it's right about at the end of the gospel. And I think that John included it for people like you and me. Ordinary people who have trouble getting all of this fishing for people thing right. In that story, we meet the disciples after the crucifixion and before they've grasped that Jesus is raised from the dead and and all of its wonderful implications. And they're back in Galilee. And they're fishing again. In the same way that they were when Jesus first called them. It's as if Jesus had never been. And they aren't catching any fish. Jesus comes and addresses them. They don't recognize him. But he says, children, you have no fish. Cast your net to the other side of the boat and you will find some. And they do. And there are too many fish for the net. And it's just spilling over. In that miracle, the disciples recognize that it's the Lord. When there were too many fish. And Peter, in characteristic enthusiasm, jumps into the water to go and meet him, to go and meet Jesus. To live one's life according to the priorities of being connected to God and connecting others to God, that's not a glamorous way to live. You know, as as I was thinking about the thematic connection between the the first Corinthians passage before communion and and the passage from Mark here. You know, I was thinking about what it was like for the Corinthians. I mean, they were in a city that was quickly on the rise. Uh, You know, it it was easy to get caught up in materialism. It was easy to find one's identity in, in anything other than a crucified God on the cross. And I thought about how easy it is for us to be just disoriented um, by the spirit of our age. And we can forget that 
what God is calling us to do in following Jesus is to rely on him to organize our lives, our resources, our, our, the way that we think, our conversations that we have with other people, to organize them in a way that makes a real priority out of staying connected to God and then finding ways humbly to remove obstacles and, and help other people connect to God. And I think that, you know, like I said, this is not glamorous life. Um, it's also a journey that's never finished. And, and it's also a journey that's slow moving. And it's, it's a journey that, frankly, many of us can vouch for this. It's a journey that stalls out completely sometimes for us, right? But John gives us this miracle right at the end of his gospel, this fishing miracle. And I think he gives it because he knows we need it. In the end, there's fullness. There is fullness, just like there's this net that's full of fish. And there's fullness because the strange figure that we meet in Mark 1, who hints that fishing for people will be an essential part of God's changing the world. This is the same figure who's been raised from the dead. And he has promised us that we will recognize in the end that our nets are full. Our nets are full. Not because of our faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness of the one who's risen from the dead. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.